0: If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor. We're, we're glad that you're here. This is family month, the month of May. We love celebrating families. We have some resources out in the comments, as we do every May. If you would like to get some of those, we would love you to do that. Uh, there was this cafe in town. that's not here anymore, but it served my wife's favorite hamburger. And uh, it was called The Big Messy. And we were eating there one day, and I said, man, that would be a great title for a sermon. And then in last year, as I began about a year ago working on this series, I said, forget sermon. We're just going to call the whole series The Big Messy because family life is messy. It's really messy. And it always seems to be that way. As I was thinking about this sermon and knowing that I was going to preach about the first man and the first woman, I was thinking about songs that had the word woman in it. And uh, I actually went up and looked on Google to see the list of it. And Google, one entry said there's 280-plus songs. I guess they went to 280, got tired of counting, and just put the plus and went on. But I just think about when I was, you know, a teenager and the music I listened to, the Eagles had the song Witchy Woman. (laughs) Carlos Santana had Black Magic Woman. ELO had Evil Woman. And I'm seeing a trend uh, just in those titles right there. ELO, and for those of you that didn't grow up with good music, that stands for electric light orchestra. ELO also had a song called Sweet Talking Woman, which was what she was before you found out she became the evil woman, I guess. <laughs> the Guess Who had an American woman, The Doors had L.A. woman, Fleetwood Mac had Gold Dust woman, Roy Orberson had Pretty Woman, Kiss had Hard Luck Woman, Helen Reddy used to sing I Am Woman. Aretha Franklin saying, you make me feel like a natural woman. But my favorite song with the word woman in it was actually a country song. I listened to Waylon Jennings all the time, along with Willie Nelson growing up in Texas. You did that. And it's a song I used to sing to Debbie a lot. It's entitled Good-Hearted Woman. I can sing that song to you. I know the words, man. I can sing it to this day. Long time forgotten, the dreams that just fell by the way. The good life he promised ain't what she's living today. And Debbie used to say, you can stop right there. Because I'm with you at that point. So I quit singing it. But if there's ever a song that accurately describes married life, I think, with the word woman in it, Brad Paisley has a song entitled Waiting on a Woman. <laughs> Guys, let me tell you, but a lot of your time is going to be spent waiting on a woman. Just tell you. I'm telling you right now. it's the way it is. And I say that because that's the title of the message today. We're going back to Adam. Because what was Adam doing? He was waiting on a woman. He didn't even know it, but he was. And so we're going to come today to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, this is a great passage. And here's what I want you to see from this passage, from this message today. To make life work, God made it so a man needs a woman and a woman needs a man. To make life work, God made it so that man needs a woman and woman needs man a man. Now, some of you think, I'm oh, man, I'm single. You know, I don't know how it applies to me. It's going to apply to you because you're single and one day you may get married. Maybe I know some of you have been through some rough marriages and you don't know if you'll ever get married again. I get it. You know, in three weeks, I'm going to preach what Jesus said about, you know, divorce. And, you know, it's not going to be a beat you up. It's going to be a positive message to try to help you. You know, my mom got divorced when my dad got when I was three. You know, Debbie, you know, she got divorced from her parents when she was a teenager. Both of our moms got remarried, had fantastic lives. Debbie and I turned out great, I think, uh, for the most part. You know, it's, so it's not going to beat you up on that. But this can help you. A lot, And you he can help you with families. And, and a few weeks ago, I, I told the women, bring your husband because I'm going to beat the husbands up this message. I'm really not going to do that. I just wanted them to worry about it some. This message really is meant to be a positive message for you because marriage is supposed to be a positive thing. And So I'm going to begin this way about life and marriage. It wasn't always messy. Marriage wasn't always messy. Not the first one. It wasn't until sin came into the world that it ever got messy. You know, whenever today, you know, we, we, we counsel people about marriage and, you know, couples go to premarital before they get married. We always want to go to the New Testament. I get it. We want to start off there with Paul and what he said and, you know, and, and things Jesus said. Let me just tell you this. Everything in the New Testament on marriage is good, but it all deals with sin. It takes into account sin. In fact, what's interesting is both Jesus and Paul do something when they talk about marriage, when Jesus talks about divorce. They reference the passage we're in today. Because the passage we're in today is what marriage is supposed to be like. When we talk about a biblical marriage, when I talk about a biblical marriage, I'm not talking about the example of anybody in Scripture. I'm not even talking about the stuff you find in the New Testament. When I say biblical marriage, I'm coming to Genesis 2. This is the way God intended for it to be. That's why Paul says, go back to Genesis 2. And Jesus basically says that. They don't use those words, but that's a reference back here. In Genesis 1, God created everything and he created man. And he said in chapter 1, verse 26, 27, 28, and understand Moses is writing all this out. So he's what God has told him. He's going back. And God said, let us make man in our image. In our image, let us make him male and female. They made God, they made us in his image. And so the image of God basically has three things involved. It means we have a moral compass to know right and wrong. We have a functionality of things we can do. And we have the capacity to have meaningful relationships with God and with each other. The only problem is when he made man, he could have the God relationship. There was no each other. And then he also said, We're going to make them male and female, which means that there is some importance to the fact that we're distinct. He makes us different by our sexuality. You know, when God made everything else, he made them distinct by the kind of thing they were. Like I have, I have dogs. People say, What kind of dogs do you have? Well, I have chihuahuas, as opposed to golden retrievers, or we used to have pugs. That's what we do. When you have a kid, you don't say, What kind of kid are you going to have? We all ask, are you going to have a boy or a girl by gender? I asked that to someone today, and they gave me. I get this answer all the time now from younger women. I don't know yet. We, haven't dis- we don't want to know what the gender is going to be. All right. I guess different. But you're going to have one or the other, all right? I didn't say, what kind of kid are you going to have? I want to know, are you going to have a boy or girl? We understand that distinction, and that's important when we come to Genesis chapter 2. And so as we come here, here's what I want you really to understand, that God gave Adam. Someone to love and to live with and to live for. Understand, God gave Adam someone to love. Someone to live with and get this, someone to live for. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. The Lord God, Moses is writing, he uses the entire name, the covenant name, Yahweh, Lord, and then the generic name, God, Elohim. He said, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, when God created man, he said man is good. And now he's saying something's not good. It's not that God contradicts himself if there was a fault or a problem. God created man, when God made man, man, Adam, when he made Adam, he made him Adam so that he needed someone to complete the task. He hadn't completed the task yet. The making of Adam was good, but it wasn't good that Adam still had a need left. And so what he said is, I will make him a helper that's suitable for him. I will make, God will make from Adam a helper suitable for him. Now, the word helper has the context of one coming alongside of. Sometimes, because you know, we live in the, in the New Testament age and... and you know, I don't, I don't have time to go into all this. We get so hung up in the church today and making sure we all understand our roles of just, you know, male and female. And, you know, and women need to do this and male needs, men need to do that. You know, and somehow, you know, women need to submit to men and I get all that stuff. The problem is they don't fully understand the context of where that came from, don't have time to go into it. But we're always trying to find ways to make the original relationship somehow, you know, accessible or somehow acquiesce to sin. In the original relationship, there was nobody in charge. If you agree upon everything, no one's in charge. When there was no sin in the world, Adam wasn't in charge of Eve because there was no need to be. He was in charge of the created world, the animals. But the word helper doesn't mean in any way inferior. It's not the idea of to assist someone in an inferior capacity. This same word is used of God at the Exodus, where it said God helped Israel. John chapter 16, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit says, he's going to come, he's a helper. The Holy Spirit, God, is your helper. The idea of help means to help. Adam needs someone to help him, to be suitable to him. The word suitable means to come face to face. I don't know when you get married, when you go, got someone, when do you have your first kiss? I know when Debbie and I went out, we kissed on our first date. I'm just telling you this because I wouldn't take any chances. A, I didn't know if I'd get a second date. And B, I was a little bit cocky. You know, I was a jock. I was an athlete. And I figured a kiss would seal the deal. You know, you kiss me and you'll fall helplessly in love with me and never leave again. So the first date, I got a kiss and a slap in the face. I got all that on the first date. I didn't get slapped in the face. She came back for more. (laughs) You like that, didn't you? There again, cross that line. So when I kissed her. When she kissed me, how you look at it, we were face to face. That's the context. Suitable. You go together to complete, to complement. Here's what it means to make it work. Adam is someone to help him to make it work. So, verse 19, here's what it says. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called a living thing or creature, that was his name. The name means he has dominion, okay? And it doesn't mean he had to call everything from all over the earth. Everything, Everything in the garden was fine. However, it doesn't matter. The man gave name, saw the cattle, the birds of the sky, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found the helper suitable for him. For Adam, there was nothing found that would make him complete, that would finish the job. Nothing was there. Verse 21 says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. In other words, he slept. It was a deep, deep sleep. It was, as I said before, it was probably the last really good night's sleep he had for a while. But he had that. And he took one of his ribs, that's the side, and he closed up the flesh at that place. So all English versions basically have ribs, but it was the side just took part of his side. Now understand this, this progression is important. God took nothing and made something in creation. He took something and made Adam. He took Adam and He made Eve. It's not about priority, it's about progression that God is constantly taking at first what doesn't exist and then what he has created to keep moving creation forward. Verse 22 says this, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and he brought her to the man. He fashioned, he created, he, he built it just the way he wanted her to be. And just as he had taken man and created him from dust, He took the side of man and he took that woman and made her exactly as God intended, without flaw, without defect. He made her to complete and complement the man perfectly. And he brought her to him. Verse 23 says this, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And there's a lot of debate and understanding of trying to understand what this means. The bone is the strength of a body. The flesh oftentimes is that which is weak, you know, that which you tear and, and cut easily. And so it, it's the idea of the strength of my strength, the weakness of my weakness. And it means something like this. Whatever my strength is, whatever makes me strong, she's a part of that. And whatever my weakness is, whatever makes me weak, she is going to be there to help me through that. And There's the idea of being together. And it says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, previously, the word for man, Adam, is used. This is a different word. It's the word, Iash. And the word woman is Iashah, which basically means something like this. It is from man and has a connotation idea of being a part of man and completing man. So there is essentially a unity, a togetherness, a belongingness in those names, And so that one belongs to the other, just like the word woman and the word man both have the word man in it. There is a sense of belonging there. And so then we come to verse 24, which is quoted often in the New Testament, which is important. For this reason, for the reason he just mentioned that Moses just talked about. A man shall leave his father and mother. Now, Moses writes at a time when women left home to go to be in the man's household. That's how it was done back then. And so there was a vulnerability on their part. There was the danger on, on their part of leaving their home to go to some place and being a foreigner, an outsider. So he says the man leaves his father and mother, not necessarily physically, but what it means is to leave behind the attachments, the emotional, the, the, the mental, the spiritual. It, it, in other words, all the attachments of previous relationships are left behind. So the idea is that when the man and woman came together, no one became the priority. She was the priority of his life. I'm gonna talk, a whole lot more next week about understanding that when you get married, your priorities change. But let me just say this because there are a lot of younger guys and I just want to say this right now here because it's important. When you get married, and I've said this before, your wife becomes more important than your mama. And you always choose your wife over your mom, even if your wife's wrong. Always, 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 always. You're looking at your husband. Always. (laughs) Now, I embarrass you. Always choose your wife over your mother. If your wife is wrong, and privately, if you want to risk it and tell her, good (laughs) luck. Your priorities change, and they shall become one flesh. The one flesh. Now, the idea of one flesh isn't just the physical aspect. It is the idea that when something becomes one, then it, it loses the other parts to it and then to separate it into two is some tearing. You either tear or you rip or you cut, but it's taking something that is one and making it two is an idea of violence involved. And so this oneness becomes a a connectedness that can't be broken. So verse 25 kind of concludes it all. And the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. If you ever saw WKRP in Cincinnati, This verse became famous through that TV show. But it means something like this. Once sin came into the world, they realized they were naked and ashamed. But before sin, there was none of that there. It's a reminder that things were different. And so here you have two people coming together with God as the the center of their life because he was back then. They worship God. There's unity. There's equality. No one's in charge. There's absolute equality. They complete each other. And they complement each other. It comes together that way. So here's what we begin to understand. That the purpose of marriage is so a man and a woman can share life together. Honoring God and honoring and serving and loving each other. Honoring God and honoring, serving, and loving each other. That's what marriage does. Now, I know we live in a culture that says, oh, you don't need that anymore. In our culture, I like to think it's really hip and advanced and it has all these new connotations and ideas. Everything you see in our culture today in terms of relationships and marriages and lack of marriages has existed since the time of man. You go back to Genesis, it all, it's all there. All you know, all the you know, the, the multiple you know, people you sleep with, adultery, promiscuity, um, same-sex relationships, men dressing as women, women dressing as men. Um, they didn't have the chemical stuff that makes it different, but it all existed back in the biblical times. There's nothing new. And people like to think, oh well, you know, times have changed. Not really. Plus, God doesn't change. God's you never changes so we, we, we need to understand that. And we, we live in a time, and, and I get a lot of it term, comes about choices and, and people's lives and you know, the sexual sins of things that exist. Listen, we need to understand ad, adultery and promiscuity is serious to God. Because, because when a man and a woman come together, when, when I married Debbie, I gave myself to her and she gave herself to me. I belonged to her. She belonged to me. I know people say, we don't belong to each other. Well, if you're going to get hung up on that, you're just being silly and immature. Grow up and realize what we're talking about. Just, sometimes people just need to grow up and have adult conversations. I gave myself to her. She gave herself to me. Adultery tears that apart. It ruins that relationship. If I would have cheated on her, it would have said, you can't complete me. You can't compliment me. You can't do for me what God has said you will do for me. And it makes her feel inferior and unimportant. It's the reason most divorces are the result of adultery, and it can't be overcome many times. I understand it. That's why Jesus, and we'll see it in a few weeks, said if there's adultery involved and you can't overcome it, got it. Even sex before marriage with other people, why does that hurt? It hurts because it's damaging the potential relationship you're going to have because you've brought someone else into your life, whether you mean to or not. And so when you want to say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with someone, and you you get married, but there's other people out there that enter into it somehow and runs the risk of damaging those relationships. Now, can all of that be forgiven? Well, yes, it can be forgiven. But it makes it messy. Oh, man. You know it makes it messy. Same-sex relationships, that's not what God intends. That's why he made us male and female. And you can make all the arguments that you want, but the thing is, same-sex relationships damage the concept of what family is. It damages the concept of what it means to be human for a man and woman to both procreate and recreate and to enjoy life together. It always undermines what God intends. It's always an undermining of God. Now, if you remove God from the equation, fine. Remove him from the equation, but it's gonna make it messy. Understand that sexual sin is sin because it distorts and confuses the intent of God. It is an uneven exchange between what God intends and our rejection of that intent for something always less than what God intends. And it makes life a mess. And miscommunication makes life a mess. And messing up your finances makes life a mess. And not trusting each other makes life a mess. And being arrogant and prideful makes life a mess. But nothing makes it a mess like infidelity. Now, I understand you can't change the past. it can be forgiven. But I also understand this. From this day forward, you can always take Genesis 2 and say, this is it. This is how it needs to be. From this day forward. Wasn't always messy. Until we made it that way. But it brings me to the second thing I want to share with you. Waiting is worth it. It's always worth it. Now the word waiting has two meanings. I want you to understand both these meanings. One is to stop doing something. Or or is to stop and stay in place. To stop and stay in place. To wait. I'm going, like the song says, you're waiting on a woman. You're waiting for her to get dressed and come downstairs, so wait, or whatever. The other is to serve. So I wait like you go to a restaurant, and there's wait staff there to wait on you. Now, both of those are part of this. So let me just kind of say this about marriage. In many ways, marriage is a man and a woman spending their lives waiting on each other. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. In some place, we always stop and wait for the other person. In other words, in a relationship, in a marriage, sometimes you have to wait on the person you're married to to get to a certain place. So you stop. Sometimes on your journey, you may feel like you're further along or the other person may be further along and they need to stop and let you catch up. Sometimes it's about stopping and talking. It's about stopping and working through it. It's about stopping and forgiving and asking forgiveness. Sometimes it is to stop and evaluate your relationship. So you stop and wait where you are. To make it work. And other times, it's about serving. So much of marriage is just about serving and giving to the other person. So let me share with you from Genesis 2 some things that will help you. And if you're single, this is good because you, you got a clean slate. And you can, you can say, this is what I'm looking for. And if, you know, if you're single, you know, you've been married and you're single again, you can say, okay, this is what I'm looking for. And if you're single again and again, okay. Or I'll just say this. After about four times, you might want to just realize marriage isn't for you. Let me just say that also. So if you're just like, well, my fifth one, I think I'll get it right. Probably not, but you can try. Anyways. Build your marriage around God. Now, this seems so... Elementary, And we do, every time people come, all right, what are we going to do? Let's build your marriage around God. But that's what Genesis 2 is, about God. Not just in the fact that you worship him, which you should do. But you look at things the way God looks at things. To build your marriage around God is more than just coming to church. It's important. More than just reading the Bible, it's important. More than just making sure your kids come to VBS and camp, it's important. Building your marriage around God is to look at life the way God does. You need to look at marriage the way God does. You need to look at things the way God does. Our culture doesn't do that. Our culture doesn't look at things the way God does. Now, this makes it hard. If you're married and your spouse isn't a believer, that can be tough. I got it. I understand that. You still have to do that. Whatever part you play, you've got to be sure you look at life the way God does. Our lives would be so much easier, so many less messes if we just looked at life the way God does. So build your marriage around God. Value what God values. God values your relationship. He wants it to work. Value the things God values. Understand what's important. Secondly, add value to each other's life. Your marriage should be a value-added relationship. I always want to be sure, my my Debbie. I want to add value to her life. And and I know we talk about marriage, you know, you don't want to be too selfish, you know, it's not, not just what you get, what you give, but you also need to make sure that person's going to add value to your life. Why would you spend the rest of your life with someone who insults you, cuts you, puts you down? Why would you spend the rest of your life with someone who brings other people into that relationship? They need to add value to your life. And two people adding value to each other's lives go a long way. And a lot of times, like if you, your second marriage, if this, this is a huge deal. If you'll just realize you need to have value because that's a lot of times what happened in the first marriage. There wasn't value added. Third thing, love your spouse more than you love any, anyone else on earth. Just love your spouse more than anyone. I, I love, there was no one, no one mattered to me but Debbie, no one. I didn't have relationships with other women. I didn't, you know, I didn't like, hey, I got these friends. I want to keep all them and have lunch with them and go out with them. I mean, and that all ended, man. It was Debbie it was everything. And, it's, and I know you may have friendships with people, and there's couples, and I get all that. I'm just telling you, you better make sure at the end of the day, your spouse knows you love them more than anyone else. And that some of you are not quite married. You're thinking about getting married. Let me just tell you these things. I, I did this a few, uh, about two months ago, and I was talking about the journey that I had. And I just, I said, when you get married, before you get married, ask these three questions. These are three great questions. Parents, as you have young kids, write these down so you can tell your kids to ask these later on. First of the question is this, do you always think about me when we're apart? I mean, it matters. When I, Debbie and I were apart, I always thought about her, man. She was always on my mind. It's a Willie Nelson song. If only this was in a good way. She was always on my mind. I always thought about her. Are they always thinking about you? Secondly, is every decision that person makes with your best interest at heart? Every major decision I made, number one, how does it affect Debbie. Number one, how does it affect her? More than, more than how did it affect me, how did it affect her? And the third question, oh, this is so important. And this may be the most important, especially if you're not married yet. When that person says they love you, ask them, when you think about the future, am I in that future? Three years from now, when you think about your life, three years, five years, am I in that future? If not, you might want to rethink your relationship. Because I'm telling you, I was in love with a gal once. And the answer to all three of those questions was always, 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 yes. The fourth thing is make each other's life complete because that's why you're there. And I know that's a famous line from a movie, you know, with Tom Cruise, and I'm never really thrilled about quoting a Tom Cruise movie. Well, but in the end, it's true. A man and a woman spend his life completing one another. The wholeness needs to be there. It matters. It's important. When Debbie and I were dating, um, she wanted to cook for me. So what do, you, what do you want me to make it, she said. You know, I'm from, I'm from Texas. I love fried food, man. We fry everything. We fry butter. I mean, we fry it all. <laughs> fry ice cream. It was great. So from my favorite meal, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, gravy. She said, all right, I'll make it. So Big Night came. I went over to her place. Man, the mashed potatoes, they, they were good. They were a little lumpy. All right. And the gravy, we laughed. She made she made like a gallon of gravy, because at first it got too thin, so she added flour, too much flour, it got too thick, add milk, got too thin. She did that literally three times. <laughs> gallon of gravy. And it was the fried chicken. She made that fried chicken just the way I like. My steak. Medium rare and bloody. <laughs> we laughed about that for so long. A couple of years ago it was my birthday. She said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, man, I want some real fried chicken and real mashed potatoes and gravy. Nothing store-bought, no instant, the real thing. She made those potatoes perfect, cream, real butter, real cream. Man, they're great. The gravy, it was always good, but just the right amount. And she took that chicken, and she soaked those pieces overnight, and she got some my uh, grandmama's recipe, I guess, and she got it all together, and it was perfect. It was amazing. The other day when I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about illustrations to use and I thought about that one. You know, I reflected and I thought about something I never really thought about before. I'm in a place in my life with her passing, last October, that I think about in our marriage things I never thought about before. But I thought about this. It just hit me. She spent our life together. She spent our life together. Perfecting fried chicken. Because it mattered to me. And that, my friend, is marriage. The other person means so much to you. You perfect just the little things. I really wasn't much of a husband. I had so many failures, and I know that. She was a lot better wife than I ever was a husband. But I do know this. I know in all of my heart, I wanted her to know that she was more important to me than anyone. And when she passed, she knew that. And she knew I loved her more than anyone. And she knew she made my life complete the way it was supposed to be. And I will tell you this, in the end, our marriage was messy, but it was worth it. And if I had to do it over, I'd marry Debbie again. Because I needed her, and she needed me, just the way God intended. I began the message by saying this to you. To make life work, God made it so a man needs a woman, and a woman needs a man. Some of your marriages are a mess, and I get it. But you need each other. And I wish I could give you four or five things that would solve it like that. I can't. I can only give you one thing. Go back to Genesis 2. You've got to go back here. This is where you begin getting your marriage back in line. You need to forgive one another. And you need to ask forgiveness. And if there are things in your marriage that can't be resolved, well, in three weeks, I'll deal with that. But this is where you begin. Some of you that are single, you got an advantage. You can say, I can start this way. And do start to say, this is what I want. And if you're, gonna, if you're, if you're single, you know, divorced, and you're going to get remarried, you can, the next one can be this way. And some of you, You're going to say, you know, I'm at an age. I'm never going to get remarried. I'm, you know, I'm too old, but you have family members and all of you have people you love and care about and their family's a mess and this can help them. You need Genesis two. The waiting is worth it. Some of us are going to be here. If you need to come and pray with one of us, we can. Ladies, if you'd rather pray with another woman, we'll have a woman here. She'll pray with you. If you want to join our church, you can, whatever you want, but understand this. When you walk out this door today, when you walk out this door today, I understand it's messy. But I also understand it's worth it if you do it God's way. So, Father, we thank you that we can come before you and we can read from Genesis 2. Very simply what you want marriage to be. It's not complex. It's not hard. It's a guy and a gal coming together to spend their life together, honoring you, then honoring, serving, and loving one another. That's what we want. We want to see that in our families. So help our families and help us help our families. God, help us get back to Genesis chapter 2. This is where it needs to be. God, help us get here in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and you come and we'll greet you.